0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Yes, Lord, our praise is to you. You are forever. You are the I am, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Thank you for this sure foundation which the church has and which the world can have, Christ the solid rock. Lord, let us anchor our faith in your unchanging character today. Allow us to be a people who walk not by sight, but by faith and are pleasing to you. By your spirit, lead us in this way, through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, today is the last message through the life of Elijah, which we have been following for the past many weeks. We've been following the life of Elijah through 1 Kings, a journey of fear and faith. And today, we're going to see that journey come to an end. I wonder if you can recall a time recently, or even in the past, when someone went out of their way to specifically and intentionally serve you. Now, I've been blessed to be refreshed by a lot of people uh, in the church in the many years that I've uh, grown up to the, in the church and even worked in uh, this church, um, even from childhood. So uh, when I was really young, my mother and father were able to get tickets for my siblings and I to go downtown to the Sky Dome, when it was called the Sky Dome, and see a live performance of this, like, traveling Christian program thing. See, long before VeggieTales was around, and long before Adventures in Odyssey were there, if you grew up in church, you know what those are, probably. There was uh, one other Christian cartoon character called Salty the Singing Songbook. Uh, Seems like some of you are familiar with that. If not, just Google it today. It's pretty cringy, actually, now that I look back, but... So we got to go downtown and we saw this performance and then afterwards I got to go onto the field and there was like this volunteer who took me and a bunch of other kids into a group and I think they were sharing the gospel with us. I can't remember. I was just mesmerized that I got to be on the same field that the Blue Jays played on. And though I do remember several weeks later that volunteer uh, called our home because we provided a contact number and... Mom picked up the phone and said, Jason, there's someone to speak with you. And the guy just called to ask and see how I was. And as a little child, I remember this being a real source of encouragement for me. Christian, you may not see it, but your service for other people is a source of encouragement and refreshment. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10 reminds us that though we are not saved by good works, certainly, we are saved for good works. That means there are still prayers to be prayed. That means there are still children left to disciple. There is still good news left to be shared with the lost world there are still burdens that others are carrying which we can bear. Yet, over the years that I've been working at our church specifically, I've been able to work and serve with a lot of people, many of you, yet, of all of the reasons which I've seen people quit serving, the top reason I've seen people quit is because they become Weary of doing good. And that's where Elijah is when we come into God's word today. Elijah was weary and wanted to quit. He ran for fear when his life was threatened. He abandoned God and his word. He isolated himself. He was crippled with guilt. And he became hopelessly depressed to the point of being suicidal. Yet God had better plans for Elijah. When Elijah failed, God remained faithful. And God wanted to restore and renew his weary prophet so that he could get back to work. Because God had more work still to be done. And be sure, if you find yourself in a state of weariness today, this is not where the Lord wants you to stay. God wants to renew and restore us And God can approach us in the same way that he approached Elijah. God's word today is going to show us that the Lord approached Elijah from three different angles in order to allow him to be renewed and restored back to work. Will you allow God to do the same for you today? Well, as we do, uh, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. We're going to read a portion of our scripture today, starting 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 8, down to verse 11. This is the word of God. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. Verse 8, and he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, The Mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenants, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke them into pieces, the, pieces, the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Please be seated, church. So we find Elijah today in a state of weariness. Forty days and forty nights without God's word, then he gets to a mountain, plops himself in a cave, and sits himself down. But um, God wasn't done with him. And after 40 days and 40 nights of without hearing from the Lord, the word of the Lord finally returns to him. But this time, instead of with an instruction or a command, God's word comes to the weary prophet in the form of a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? In Jesus' earthly ministry, he often approached People by asking questions. Because Jesus knew something about the human heart that we should be conscious of today as well. Jesus said, out of the mouth, can you finish that? The heart speaks. A well placed question will allow someone to respond in a way that exposes what's inside their hearts. And this is the first way that Elijah was approached by the Lord. God exposed Elijah's heart with a question. So what was in Elijah's heart that was exposed through the question that God asked? What are you doing here? Well, four things that I've written down that I see from Elijah's response, which are in his heart. Uh, First, Elijah was avoiding ownership. The question asked was, what are you doing here? The answer given was, here's what I've done. That wasn't what God asked. I wonder how Elijah would have answered if he answered honestly, what are you doing here? Maybe he would have said, well, God, um, I was afraid and and didn't trust you. And I ran because I didn't think you could protect me. And I chose to be isolated because I was afraid, but it only crippled me with guilt and, and I wanted to take my life. Elijah was avoiding Ownership. He didn't answer the real question, and not only was he avoiding ownership, he was justifying his failures. Um, maybe he knew that he was wrong, but he wasn't focusing on what he did wrong. He was only trying to prove to God that he'd been doing things right. I've been jealous for you, God. I've been jealous. That's that's true, but in this instance, he failed. Avoiding ownership, justifying failures. Also, I think Elijah was bitter. It's not a really good thing in a marriage when you complain about each other using the words always and never because it's usually not always and never. But we use extremes because we're angry and we're bitter and Elijah was using extremes too. I'm jealous for you, God, and they're not doing anything. Yo, Elijah, these, Elijah you're supposed to be serving these people. Why are you upset at them? Avoiding ownership, justifying failures, bitter, and uh, he was doubting God. The fact that he ran from Jezebel when she threatened to kill him shows us that he thought he could take better care of himself than he thought God could. He didn't think God could protect him, so he had to protect himself. As we saw last week, Elijah's heart is still mangled. And if Elijah was going to be renewed and restored back to work, his mangled heart needed to be exposed before God so that Elijah himself could see what God had already seen. Last week, I told you a story to illustrate what it means to have a mangled heart by sharing that when I was a kid, my back got really mangled because as a grade four, I was carrying a knapsack with way too much weight in it. you guys remember that? I didn't tell you how I got fixed, but like, my back got fixed, right? But it took a long time for my back to get fixed. I had to go to the chiropractor, and the chiropractor did some, some of the cracky magic thing, and, um, and then the character, chiropractor said, next, all right, here's your solution. It's gonna take a long time. You can't use your pillow for the next couple weeks. But what you will do is just take a towel, roll it up, put it under your neck. And it was really annoying and took a really long time. But eventually, having that towel under my neck while I slept at night allowed my spine to realign itself. Yet... I would not have been able to have my spine realigned if I did not first look in the mirror to actually recognize how mangled my back really was. If our hearts are going to be renewed and restored, we need to see our mangled hearts the way that God sees our mangled hearts. Do you? Now, I was able to speak and pray with a lot of you last week and who recognized that your hearts were mangled, but the reason why you recognized your hearts were mangled weren't different from Elijah's. Elijah's heart was mangled because he feared, he failed, he ran from God. Some of you expressed that your hearts were mangled not because of your own failures, but because of like external environmental influences. Several people I spoke of because of their failing health. Other of you that I spoke of with had mangled hearts, not because of external circumstances like environmental, but um, malicious and unjust actions of others who tried to hurt you. And often I found that people in those two scenarios, when people hurt us, or when there's circumstances we can't control, our hearts are mangled specifically with and general, generally, with with anger, and good Christians don't want to admit that they're angry. Sometimes I speak with people in scenarios like this, and they preface the way that they describe their feelings like this: they'll say, "Well, I know I'm not angry. I don't think I'm angry, and I don't want to be angry. But 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 this person did this thing to me, and 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 just I'm just upset, and I just want some answers, and and." If you're suspending your happiness until the problem gets fixed or until you get an, ang- an answer, you're angry. Are you willing to see your heart in the way that God sees your heart? Some of us, though, are exactly where Elijah is as I have found myself in the past. Our failure... Our circumstance turned us away from God. And because of what we've done, we've become weary. Are you avoiding ownership just like Elijah is for the thing which you have done? Are you justifying yourself? Are you bitter to people that you should be loving? Are you doubting that God cares or that God can fix it? If this is you, then allow me to briefly model what the Lord did with Elijah, with all of us. Brother and sister in Christ, what are you doing here? How long have you been here? How did you respond when that first came about? What did you want when you responded that way? If you could go back, would you have responded differently? Where do you think God is in all of this? Maybe you've never allowed people to ask you those questions before. I don't see a scenario, and I don't think the Bible paints a scenario where we could ever find renewal and restoration if we're not giving other people permission to ask these hard questions in our lives. In fact, what the Bible does paint is a picture of a heart that gets even harder if we choose to isolate ourselves from this type of fellowship. God wants to renew and restore us back to work, and it hurts but he's going to start by exposing our hearts. Will you let the Lord do it with you? There's a second angle though. The second angle that God approached Elijah from is found in verse 11 to verse 13. Let's read that there again, okay? Verse 11 to verse 13 says, and he, the Lord, said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. All right, so Elijah's sitting in his cave. And it kind of sounds to me like, uh, looks to me like I might have looked like when my parents caught me doing something that I know I shouldn't have done as a kid. And I'm just like storming off into my bedroom and slamming the door and sitting there and sulking there. And it kind of looks like Elijah right now, just sulking in the cave. But God's like, hey, come, come, come stand out before me. Because see, God's our good father. And at the right time, our father is going to help us deal with our issues. God doesn't want him in the cave. He wants him out of the cave. How is he going to get them, him from in the cave to out? Well, let's keep reading. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. That is a strong earthquake. That would get my attention. It apparently didn't work for Elijah. The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake... But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave the way that God got Elijah out of the cave and to stand before him was that he provoked Elijah's attitude with his presence. God provoked Elijah's attitude with his holy, awesome presence. Now, God did it in a very unique way. And there are some significant things that we need to identify here that are specific to Elijah, that will first, understanding his scenario, will allow us how God can provoke us to stand before him. Three significant things we need to identify here. Um, First, the place where God provoked Elijah is pretty significant, all right? A geography lesson that I'm going to give you might not sound fun, but listen carefully because a geography lesson is really important here, okay? The place where God provoked Elijah is significant because of its historical implications. See, Elijah was at a a mountain right now called Mount Horeb. You might know it by a different name, same mountain, different name, Sinai. You remember that one? Mount Sinai was the same mountain where Moses first saw the presence of the Lord in that burning bush that was on fire, yet the bush wasn't being consumed. It's the same mountain where the Lord's finger carved the 10 commandments out on the tablets of stone that Moses provided. It's the same mountain where Moses asked the Lord, "Show me your glory." And God did. And his glory was so magnificent that when Elijah, excuse me, when Moses went down from the mountain, his face was illuminating and people had to put a veil over his face. So, this is significant because when the first people read this, like Elijah's at Horeb, what they're asking is Will Elijah see God's presence like Moses saw God's presence? So, the place is significant because of its historical implication. But also, here's the second significant thing the way that God provoked Elijah was significant. And it was significant because it was personal. So there are four ways that God shows his power, but three of them, are, or excuse me, only one of those four contain God's presence. And these. this is a contrast. The, the three ways where God's presence isn't is the, the fire, the uh, earthquake the whirlwind and i'm going to call these the dramatic ways that god's power is shown but you know what elijah was kind of used to the dramatic how many times did i emphasize last week like yo this guy called down fire from heaven he's already seen that Pfft, see it again Huh? been done been there done that elijah saw a kid raised from the dead Elijah saw oil and flour spontaneously regenerate three days, excuse me, for three years every day. Elijah was used to the dramatic. The dramatic didn't provoke him. God chose another way to provoke him. Not the dramatic, but the simplistic. The sound of a low Whisper. That got him out of the cave. And it was personal to him. Now I feel like I need to take a minute to do some like Bible housekeeping here, because whenever I've read this passage before, I preached this passage right now and studied this passage this past week, I've always had this baggage that followed this like low uh, sound of a whisper. Um, there's actually another translation that you might be familiar of that calls this low whisper uh, a still, small voice. Have any of you heard that before? The still, small... And whenever I've heard this passage preached before, I've heard it preached in a way that really emphasizes, you got to look for the still, small voice. you got to look for the still, small voice. And I don't think that's the right way to preach this passage. Because I think it was personal to Elijah. I don't think we should be looking for the still small voice any more than you should be looking for the burning bush. I don't think you should be looking for the still small voice any more than you should be looking to be swallowed by a whale like Jonah. I don't think you should be looking for the still small voice any more than you should be looking for the bright light that blinded the apostle Paul. This was personal to Elijah. The contrast of the dramatic and the simplistic is important. The way, excuse me, the place is significant, the way is significant. The response is also significant. Look back at the text, verse 13. How did Elijah respond to the low sound of the whisper? Verse 13, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Why is that significant? Well, remember, same mountain, Sinai, Moses' personal experience with God was the burning bush. And Moses and Elijah both responded to God's personal manifestation of his presence in the same way. When Moses saw the burning bush, it says that he was afraid and wrapped his cloak around his face. When Elijah heard the still small voice, he also wrapped his cloak around his face. Since they responded in the same way, I'm inclined to believe that Elijah's attitude was provoked in the same way that Moses's was. God provoked their attitude with his presence so that they would fear The Lord. And that's what the Lord wants to do with us today. Elijah, when he heard the still small voice, yielded himself to the authority of God. He did not know what would happen, but he knew he recognized who he stood before, and he had to yield himself to the Lord. I've been able to go on a lot of road trips throughout my life. I don't know about you, but I really, really love road trips. When I was a kid, my parents did skiing, and we got to travel all around Ontario and sometimes across North America. Loved road trips. When I was in university, I went down to school in Virginia, and I got to travel through a lot of the southern United States. Uh, It was fantastic. Loved road trips. Uh, Even now, it's, it's great just to go up to the cottage in Muskoka or out across. Fantastic. But wherever I've driven, there have been There's one specific stretch of street that always frustrates me more than any other stretch of street in all of the places I've been able to drive. And that's the 404 South when it hits the 401 and merges into the DVP. And all of a sudden, 20 some odd lanes, it feels like, merge into like three. And it feels like it's impossible to finally squeeze in um, my wife actually has a really good trick and it works really well. Because I've noticed that like, when I don't want people to come into my lane and I don't want to yield the right of way to them, I just don't make eye contact. Just 10 and two, look ahead, be right on the other person's bumper. And, but we see that about other people. So my wife sitting in the passenger seat rolls down the window and with the big, kindest smile on her face, t- puts her entire torso out and just goes, starts waving like this. And it works. So if you think you have a better tip, don't worry. Someone also already came up to me after one of the previous services and tried to give me a b- good tip. This is the best one. You should try it yourself. But Where other, anywhere else that I'm driving though, there's always um, no matter what, one vehicle, when, whenever that vehicle comes around, you gotta yield to that vehicle. No matter eye contact or not, Whenever you see the sirens of an emergency vehicle in your rearview mirror or ahead of you, there's only one response, yield. And if we're going to be renewed and restored, weary as you may be, having run from God, the Lord will provoke you and wants to provoke you with the knowledge of his presence so that you will yield yourself before him even though you don't know what's gonna happen. There have been a few personal ways where God's done that with me. One that I can recall in particular that so provoked me to change and so provoked me to offer myself over to the Lord, and that's what God wants to do with you too. I remember at camp, end of grade nine, before grade 10, sitting with my Bible open, somehow I found myself in Ecclesiastes. It was at a time in my life where all of my buddies, all of my buddies from church, were starting to go and party, and I was wondering, am I gonna do the same thing? Opening up my Bible to Ecclesiastes 11.9, it says, be happy young man, while you are young. Good start follow your heart in whatever your eyes see getting better but know that for all these things god will bring you to judgment that provoked me and i knew that i i had to yield myself before god i couldn't go my own way i had to yield myself to god If God's going to renew and restore you back to work, to live the life that you're called to live, not saved by good works, but saved for good works, we must yield ourselves to God. Let him expose your heart. Let him provoke your attitude and offer yourself to him. Do we recognize who this God is who we say we worship? Our Lord is the only living God. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. We might think we have a right or a complaint to stand before God, so did Job. Job suffered more than any man who ever lived. Yet when Job stood before God, thinking in his mind, if I get a chance to say my case before God, his mouth's going to shut and he's going to listen to me and I'll put God in his place. Well, he got to stand before God, and the Lord put Job in his place with a simple question Where were you when I, the Lord, created the universe? Do we recognize that we serve the living God? Moreover, do we recognize that we serve a loving God? You may be weary. You may struggle to see God's goodness in your life right now. If you want to see the goodness of the, God, of the Lord, just go to the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at the cross and recognize the totality of your experience and of your life. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the hope of eternal life. It is secured and can be never taken away from you. Moreover, God chose you before the foundation of the world to be his beloved child. And even while you were his enemy, Christ died for your sins, so that you could believe in him and be called his friend. Maybe you have never put your faith in the Lord Jesus and you wonder how could people go to a church and say that a God that you can't see is good because we see the face of Jesus Christ, because we see his pierced hands. You can know, friend, that God is good because Jesus suffered the death that you deserved. Believe in the Lord Jesus that he died for your sins and you will be forgiven and welcomed into his kingdom. Believe in him today. And if you are weary Christian, the Lord wants to restore you back to work. He will expose your heart. He will provoke your attitude. And then there's one final angle that God will approach us with in order to renew and restore us back to work. It's this, he will correct our thinking with his word. This is the place we need to arrive at if we're going to be renewed and refreshed back to work. We need to let our thinking be corrected by the word of God. God so did it for Elijah. But before Elijah was corrected, he actually was just told, enough. It's time to get back to work. Let's look in the text. In verse 15, after Elijah responds again, giving the same answer, the Lord responds and says, it's enough. Verse 15, and the Lord said to him, go, go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of abel maloth you shall, I probably butchered that really bad, it's okay, let's keep going. You shall anoint to be prophet in your place. God is gonna correct his thinking in a minute, but he's got a word for Elijah first. Um, Elijah, get back to work. This anointing uh, was a special ceremonial ritual where God divinely designated a specific people for a specific task by pouring, having oil poured over the individual's head. And God wanted Elijah to anoint three people, a new king for Syria, a new king for Israel, and surprisingly, a new prophet who would put Elijah out of a job. All of these three people were instrumental to the revolution which the Lord was seeking to to establish to come to conclusion. Remember, Elijah's whole job was sent by the Lord to proclaim against Ahab, King Ahab's, horrible, wicked idolatry. God wanted to use Elijah to overthrow this wicked king and set in a new king. Jehu was going to be that new king. But each of these three people, Hazael, Jehu, Elisha, they were going to be the ones that would finish the job. This was essentially God telling Elijah, um, this is your last task, and then you get a severance package, and you're gone. Elisha, Jehu, and Hazael would finish the job. See, I really struggled to whether or not I should use the word fail to describe Elijah during this iniquity running away from God, but, but I think it's appropriate. I th- Elijah failed because... He abandoned the Lord when he was needed most. He also failed because God didn't let him finish the job. This is a lesson for us to learn, friends. God's work is going to be accomplished whether we are going to be a part of it or not. Now, be sure, Elijah is one of the greatest men who ever lived. As I said last week, like next to John the Baptist and Moses, Elijah's like in the top three. And the severance package that he's going to get is pretty legit. The severance package is uh, you don't have to die. I will take you up into heaven in chariots of fire. Pretty big deal. But his failure was big enough that he wasn't allowed to finish the job. So how did God correct his thinking? He told him, time to go back to work. How did God correct his thinking? The Lord said in verse 18, look look with me there. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. Essentially, the Lord is telling Elijah this. You think you had to run because I couldn't protect you? I've been protecting 7,000 people this whole time. You're wrong, Elijah. You think you're the only one worshiping me? I've preserved 7,000 others who can worship me. You're wrong, Elijah. You think I can't? finish the job that I started? You're wrong, Elijah. God wants to renew and restore his people back to work by exposing their hearts, provoking their attitudes, and correcting their thinking. Will you allow the Lord to renew and restore your heart? All right, I want to allow some our participation in the sermon real quick, okay? So uh, could you, if you can think of something, lift up your voice and tell me uh, what are two things that normally come packaged together or that you often hear together? For example, uh, salt and pepper. What's another one? Lift up your voice, tell me. Two things that come together normally. Ketchup Ketchup and mustard. I don't like either of those things, but you're right. They do come together. Peanut butter and jam, no one said that last service, thank you, please, I love peanut butter and jam. Batman and Robin, first one all weekend, yes, well done. <laughs> Anyone else, anything else? Ham and, Ham and cheese, pretty good. All right, well don't do any more because you're running my list out really quick. Um, here's another one, oh, winter and cold. Uh, but if you don't like that, maybe uh, retirement and Florida, those two go together, right? <laughs> Now, like it or not, there are some things about the nature of God that always go together. God's mercy and God's justice. God's complete sovereignty and our complete responsibility. And related to God's love, the staff and the rod When King David said the Lord is his shepherd in Psalm 23, he said, your rod and your staff comfort me. The staff was the tool which the uh, shepherd would use to guide his sheep gently. The rod was the tool the shepherd would use to discipline the sheep when they went astray. But David said that both your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's not fun learning that we're wrong. It's not fun being corrected. But we will not be renewed and restored if we are not corrected by God's word. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God wants to renew and restore you back to work. Will you allow him to renew and restore your heart? Will you allow him to expose your mangled heart? Will you allow him to provoke your attitude so you will yield yourself to his authority? Will you allow him to correct your wrong thinking. And be sure, renewal and and restoration comes through the cleansing power of correction. Because when we are corrected, we can confess. And 1 John 1 verse 8 says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guilt cleansed with grace. Despair cleansed with hope. Doubt cleansed into faith. Weariness cleansed into rest. Certainly. None of us is saved by good works, yet we are saved for good works. That means there is more prayers left to be prayed. There are more children left to disciple. There are more burdens left to bear. There is more good news still available to be shared with a lost world. God is ready to renew and restore your heart back to work. So will we keep burying our gift in the sand or will we work to hear those fateful words from our Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. Will you allow God to renew and restore your heart? Would you stand with me as we pray? Father in heaven, thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. We deserved to suffer your wrath. We deserved to face the punishment of eternal death. Yet Christ suffered it for us. His blood was shed that we might be cleansed white as snow. Yet Lord, we become weary certainly we fail, certainly. Certainly, you have redeemed us a people of your own possession to be zealous for good works. Forgive us for being slothful in zeal. O oh Lord, renew and restore our hearts that we will again work unto you. In Jesus' name, amen.